0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dab's podcast number six. Today, we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to start off with a young lady that you actually heard in our last podcast, Janice Burnett, who said, Larry, I just want to tell the story of my dad. So without any further ado, let's hear it from Janice, the story of my dad.
1: Hello, my name is Janice Burnett, and I'm a storyteller. The story I have to share with you today is a story about my dad. I am 70 years old, but the memory of our wonderful times when I was young still warms my heart and encourages me today. Um, My dad was a a man of many talents and gifts. He was a comedian, a vivid storyteller, a Mr. Fix-It-Around-the-House, But most important, he was a family man. Dad shared his gifts with complete abandon. He was born in hard times in Augusta, Georgia. His mother died shortly after he was born. He missed sorely the relationship and family that only a mother could provide. And I think that in large part was a part of his love for family. Poverty and hunger haunted him as a child growing up and shaped him throughout his adult life. Being a good provider was a uh, number one in my father's role as a father. That was very important to him. And as a result, he really loved family meals, getting together and eating together. Because of his work schedule, Sunday was the only day that we could really have family meals. Sunday breakfast was a sacrament at our house. My mom started cooking when I left for church, and a feast was ready when I returned. My father's favorites were always on the menu. Actually, food was my dad's favorite, but the foods that he really enjoyed for breakfast were crispy bacon, sausage, Cheese and eggs, not too well done, grits, stewed apples, and my mother's famous flaky biscuits. However, Sunday breakfast was more than a culinary delight. It was Sunday school in the truest sense of the word. My father used Sunday breakfast as an opportunity to share important lessons about life that we wouldn't learn in any classroom. My dad did not shirk his duty as a teacher. Uh, He would be the first to admit that his formal education as a child had been sparse, but he said so often that he had a Ph.D. in life lessons. He took his role as head of the family seriously and teaching you so you wouldn't have to learn the hard way was very important to him. His teaching focused on three main lessons. Uh, He might have taught different taught you that lesson in different ways, but it was still three lessons that he would drive home. The first lesson was the importance of thinking for yourself. My dad seized every life experience as a chance to Further drive home the importance of this lesson: Think for yourself was his mantra. Everybody gonna tell you which end is up and what you ought to be doing, but don't let your girlfriends and, for goodness' sake, don't let your boyfriends tell you how to think. Think for yourself. Make your own decisions, cause in the end, you're the one got to live with it. The second lesson was life is hard. There's no easy path to achieving your dreams. Work hard. Try to make good choices and don't hold on bad decisions. If you make a bad decision, let it go. He and my mother would share how hard they had worked to make their dreams come true. Their fond memories, even though they were difficult, were memories of how they had struggled in the early days of getting their business going. He and my mother had to work hard, and they pretty much let us know that everything is going to come through hard work, and you're not going to get anything if you don't work hard. The last and the one that took in pieces from each one and lessons one and two was don't let any man make you his plaything. He always said, I ain't raising y'all to be nobody's fool. I don't care how pretty you think he is or how pretty he say you are. What kind of job he got or what kind of car he drive. Don't let that be an excuse for you to be foolish and and not have anyone respect you. Uh, That was a really very important lesson that he continued to really make sure that we, we understood. He always told us, get your education, you get a good job, you get a good car, and then you have standards for how a man is supposed to treat you. Now, the best way he taught us that was not really by all the things that he said at Sunday breakfast or the admonitions that he would give us about our orphans. The most important thing he did to drive that home was how he loved and cared for our mother. He always uh, told us how my mother really was so important, and how invaluable she had been as a partner in working together to get the things that they wanted. And he respected my mother. Uh, He often told how my mother held the line and sacrificed. There were things that she wanted, but she wouldn't get that so that they could advance their business and make those dreams come true. He never failed to tell her how much he appreciated her and to show her that she was number one in his life. They had their own business and they worked together all day long, five days a week. But when they got home in the evening, they still enjoyed each other's company and we could hear them laughing and talking in whatever room they were in. They enjoyed each other. And from what we could see, they were best friends. My dad said that when he first met my mother, after they had been dating for a while, my mother told him, she said, I'm serious. And I'm looking to get married and have a life with someone. And if you don't think you're that someone, you can keep on moving. My father knew that my mother wasn't one to play. And so... He got his act together, and he said, I didn't want to lose her, so I made sure that I came correct. Well, from our view, they had a beautiful marriage. They worked together, and they sacrificed together. And my dad made sure that my mother had, who was a woman of few real material wants, But when they were struggling, she talked to him about some of the things that she dreamed about. She wanted her very own home. She wanted to travel to California on the Super Chief. And she wanted her own child. He made sure that she had all those things and that she was happy with just had them just the way she wanted them. (sighs) My dad didn't talk didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He wanted us to make careful decisions, be willing to work hard to implement our choices, and ultimately to find a good mate to share our lives with. If he were here now, I would thank him and I'd tell him how grateful I am for the wisdom that he gave us. It was more valuable than we knew then. And we grew to value that, that those days and the wisdom he gave us. It became more valuable with time. Thank you. That's the story of my dad.
0: Thank you, Janice. Now, for the record, Janice really wanted to tell that story last month. But when I heard her tell the butter knife story, I said, Janice, you have to do that one. I'll make a deal with you. Let us use the butter knife story for podcast number five, and you can come back and tell us the story of your dad for podcast number six. And boy, she did not disappoint. A wonderful story by a wonderful storyteller. Next up, we have Cheryl Pryor. And I love the title of her story, Fish Don't Bite at Noon. So let's hear it from Cheryl.
2: Good afternoon. This is Oni, the storyteller. And today's story is Fish Don't Bite at Noon. This is a story about my desire to be just like my other cousin and an old saying about fishing. Some time ago, when I was eight years old, I was visiting my grandparents in Cullen, Louisiana, on the farm, which I often did. My cousin Lewis was visiting as well. As usual, I had things to do. My job was to feed the chickens and get the eggs, which I did with a lot of zest and zeal. I would walk out the door and say, good morning, chickens, and good morning to you too, Mr. Rooster. Got a story about that rooster too, but let me get back to my story now. My grandfather's house was in the middle of about 300 acres off the main road. The mailing address was on a road called Salter Road, named after my grandfather, whose last name was Salter. Anyway. The house was on Salter Road. All the houses at that time were built about 36 inches off the ground because of the water table. Sometimes when it rained, the water might get a little high, which was really a good thing or a good time to go fishing. Across the road and down the hill was a man-made pond that was spring-fed that my grandfather had the government to dig many years ago, and it was filled with fish. After my big cousin Lewis and I had finished our chores and had dinner, it was around 11.30. And it was blazing hot. I asked my cousin, who was about 14, what were we going to do now? He said, I'm going fishing. Well, of course, I wanted to go too. He tried to dissuade me, but I wasn't having it. If he was going, I was going too. So we went to ask my grandfather if we could go fishing. He said, this is not a good time to catch fish. But I said, what else is there for me to do? He just looked at me. And with that look that said, he was gonna try to dissuade me not to go. Because you see, my grandfather had very definite ideas about what girls and boys should do and fishing wasn't for girls. My grandmother said nothing but she just smiled. Probably because she didn't want me in the kitchen. But I took that to mean she was on my side and I started begging and pleading. Finally he relented. My grandfather bought out the fishing poles and he gave Lewis a really nice rod and reel. he gave me a bamboo pole with a string and a hook. I was really upset that Lewis got the real pole and I got a stick. But as I started to launch into my discussion about having a real pole, my grandfather said, girls don't go fishing and Lewis has a pole because he is older. After he said that, he had that look on his face that if I keep on talking, I won't be going anywhere. So I took my pole and followed my cousin across the road and down the hill. Well, we finally settled in one spot and cast our poles into the pond. Well, I started talking to my cousin about fishing, Detroit, and why he got the real fishing pole. He told me I was a little girl, he was bigger, and I was lucky Grandpa let me go at all. Well, that didn't stop me from talking. Finally, Lewis said, you're going to scare the fish away with all that talking. Just be quiet. But I continued, and he finally moved out of earshot. At first, my feelings were hurt, but I had read Tom Sawyer, and I began to daydream. I had a hat like Tom Sawyer, so I decided I should relax and enjoy the day. So I placed my pole in the ground and between my toes, like what I thought Tom did. Laid back, pushed my hat forward, covering my eyes and most of my face. Because remember, it's high noon. I looked over at my cousin, and he had taken his shirt off. But I wasn't going to do that. I settled back, and I thought about Tom floating down the river. After a little while, I felt a slight tug on my pole. I remembered not to move suddenly, so I waited a moment and felt a heavier weight. I knew I had caught a fish! You can't imagine my excitement! And guess what? And I caught one before Lewis did! Well, I slowly raised my body, pushed back my hat, and saw something that I was not expecting. A water moccasin was wrapping around my string. <sighs> and I tried to scream, but I, but I needed to get that pole off my foot. I stood up, mouth wide open, but no sound was coming out. I looked over at my cousin, but he wasn't paying any attention to me. And I started running full speed ahead. And finally, when I got to the top of the hill, I had my voice and just hollered, snake, snake. My cousin looked at me at the top of the hill as I was yelling and waving around frantically. He looked where my pole was and he started walking toward my pole. And the next thing I knew, Lewis was almost at the top of the hill next to me and we both started running. Lewis was almost six feet tall, but I beat him back to the house, ran into the parlor, Really looking crazy, I suppose. And I tried to tell my grandfather what happened. My grandfather just looked at me and said, with that crinkle of a smile, fish don't bite at him. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Thank you, Maddioni, a.k.a. Cheryl Pryor. Our final storyteller is one who's been on our show before, Miss Mary Grant. It's going to tell us a story also about her dad. Let's hear Mary's story.
3: Jumbo. Jumbo. Mary J. Grant here. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. called May May. If you are the youngest or ever watched the youngest child, they tend to get a little more attention. Well, at least that's what I do. That's a story about my dad. I love telling stories about my daddy. You see, in my family, there were seven children and daddy was now a widower until he got married when I turned 13 years old. He persevered despite his difficulties, despite his hardships and disadvantages because he had a educational, limited background. He kept encouraging himself at every step, and he maintained the job working in a foundry, but he became an entrepreneur because he loved money. He had a small confectionery store in the community where they sold candy and good things to eat, yummy things, all kinds of sweets along with bread and milk. Yeah, I like working there too because I could just eat my salary, just eat what he was going to pay me. He said, what you want? And I said, I want this, I want that. You know, I get something for the house maybe. Then he he worked in a foundry, like I said, and he wanted to help with the men's clothes. He said he could wash them. So in our basement, he had three washing machine, pickles, and three dryers. And he would wash those dirty clothes and dry them, put them in a paper bag, and then take them back to the foundry, put them in the men's lockers. And they paid him for that. And Not only that, he knew that they needed lunch. He would put their lunches in a bag, bologna sandwiches mainly. And then he would take some black-eyed peas in a jar, Sometimes he would mix it with ice called hop and john and he would sell that at work. But one thing I remember most is that this man was a third grade education. He built houses. Yeah, he called himself a building contractor because he built the first house on Ridgely and the second one was on Peach. That's the one I helped him build because one day I said, Hey, Daddy, what you doing? And he said, come here, gal. Oh, pull that brick. I said, that gray big cinder block? I went over and I scooted the brick just a little bit. He said, that's enough. I'll take it the rest of the way. Then he said, stir that cement. I stirred that cement. And then I put some cement on the brick. And then I put it on the side he picked it up and put it. He said, now take that plumb line and we're going to make this a big square. So he took it and he measured it off on one side, measured it off on the other in a big square. And we were making a foundation. Then the last house I remember him building was the house on Denison Street. Yeah. because well, he was a contractor. He said, I could build this house with four bedrooms. Four bedrooms, three fireplaces, one in the living room, one in the dining room between the, we called it the den, and the kitchen, and then one downstairs. Yes. Oh, it was a beautiful house. In the front of this ranch house, he had these bricks, thick blocks of brick, you know, that he got from down south. And he brought them all up. His friend and him, he brought it up from Mississippi. And they put it on the front of this ranch house. It is a beautiful house. Yeah. He told me that a foundation had to settle. Yeah. A foundation had to settle. Hmm, what does that mean? Yeah. He And he kept talking, you know, because one thing my daddy did, he loved to talk. He said, a foundation is similar to your life. Say so you got to lay a foundation to prepare yourself for life. You know, my daddy always had a word. Anyone who would listen, you know, when he would sit down in his favorite chair, and if my friends came through, they would walk through, and if they, they just cracked the floor just a little bit, he'd start, what's your name, and start talking to them. They called him Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson always telling you what to do with life. But the one thing I remember when I went to college, I didn't really want to go but I went because there were no choices back in those days my daddy said go to college and that's what I did but I didn't like going to college there was so many different kinds of people there different kinds of backgrounds and I said wow I kind of cried a lot I the way at first I remember one day they called me and I said they were coming down to visit. And they bought me a birthday cake, beautiful cake, some Kool-Aid and some popcorn. Sat down and we talked. We sat in that community room. I thought, this is hard work, Daddy. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can achieve my goals that that we wrote down and I thought I could do. I don't know. Well, He loved to talk, and that's when he started telling me about staying faithful. He told me about, remember when we built that foundation? Yeah, that's what you're doing now. Every job and everything you do in life, you have to build a strong foundation. I remember that. Daddy told me, with life challenges, build your foundation. And every time I get in a challenge with my jobs that I've gotten, with my education, with my story writing of books, I get to a point writers, you can't write any words. I think about the strength of the perseverance of my father. And it's okay. And I said I can do it. And I do it. In spite of all of life challenges, I
0: can do Thank you, M. Kim J., a.k.a. Mary Grant. That's right. You can do it. But Mary, you are doing it. And what a beautiful story. Build that foundation. Wonderful message to the young and also the young at heart. Got to build that foundation. Upon that foundation, we can build whatever it is that we want to build. That concludes our show for the day. We want to thank all of you for spending some time with us. We ask that you look for us again next month when we will be back with our seventh podcast. Take care, stay safe, and we look forward to sharing some more stories with you very soon.